Hey, Lou, so the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, ballot came out yesterday, and I'm pretty excited because Kenny Rogers is on it. Man, he's got some great songs. I, the Gambler, Islands in the Stream, Lady, the one from that movie where he's a NASCAR driver? No, no, no. I'm talking about the pitcher, you know, pitched a perfect game, pitched for the Yankees. Oh, the chicken guy? <sighs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, my co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Doug Williams. And our little joke at uh, the top aside, I, I do know that it was Kenny Rogers, the the pitcher. Uh, I don't, Doug, Doug does not uh, does not really celebrate Kenny Rogers, the musician's entire catalog, like I do. But I have a different taste in music. I guess I right. just think that's the way it works. But yes, Kenny Rogers is one of 19, uh, 19 guys on the ballot for the first time this year. There's thirty six total. Only uh, ten can be voted for on each ballot, which I haven't really done the math because I don't know the exact number of voters. But I'm pretty sure all thirty six won't get in. Uh, pretty sure someone will get in, unlike last year when Biggio had like 60-something percent and was the highest that nobody even really came within 5, five to 10 percent there. Uh, but we've got uh, quite a quite a group on that ballot this year, Doug. I, I know you, you've seen the whole thing, and I mean, it's kind of a who's who of guys, you know, you remember. But the names at the top, <laughs> Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Eric Gagne, Jeff Kent, yeah, I mean, I mean that's the, Mike Messina as well, obviously. You, you have know, to take the Hall of Fame ballot, you know, with a grain of salt because there's just guys on there that are just uh, available. To, uh, they're available to be voted in, but they're really not going to be. I mean, I don't think J.T. Snow has much of a chance. Uh, I don't think Eric Gagne, considering he was a <clears> decent closer for yeah. a few years and then, you know, was on the Mitchell Report, I think. Yeah, pretty sure Richie Sexton's not going uh, yeah. to make it on the ballot twice in a row. So, I, I mean, much. it's really not – the ballot to me really isn't that important other than the fact that every year we now have decisions to make because there's guys like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and, you know, Craig Biggio who <laughs> – that's the interesting thing. Craig Biggio never failed a test. Craig Biggio just has whispers. And that's kind of sad because – And he's got 3,000 hits and, you know, that's kind of the magic number I think. Seems, yeah, but... I think he'll get in. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't get in. It's just <laughs> – to me, this is the kind of – it's an era where we just kind of have to say, well, we know about this guy. We don't know about this guy officially. So we just I, I have think to assume until, he's clean. I think I'm just going to say this somewhat dancing around the, the word. I think you have to assume everyone is guilty until proven innocent. And I hate to say it that way, but you know the era of baseball being what it is. Yeah, but how do you? How can you be proven innocent now that you've been out of the well, league you, for five years? Well, you or can't. Whatever? That's the thing. You just have to assume that in some way, shape, or form, this is the way the era was. So you you have to take those numbers against everyone else in the era. You can't take somebody like I don't know Frank Thomas is on the ballot, for instance. You can't take someone like Frank Thomas and compare him to Mickey Mantle because it's a complete different era of baseball, even though their numbers are about the same. So you have to compare Thomas, I think, or guys like that to how they performed against their peers uh, more so than anything else. But let um, me... There are some great players on the mm -hmm. list. I mean, if you think about it, Edgar Martinez is on there, right? Yeah. Let me let me read the whole ballot here and take a, a minute. So we have this year up for the Hall of Fame, Moises Alou, Jeff Bagwell, Armando Benitez. Yeah, right. Craig Biggio, Barry Bonds, Sean Casey, Roger Clemens, Ray Durham. Gagne, Glavin, Luis Gonzalez, Jock Jones, Todd Jones, Jeff Kent, Paul LaDuca, 
Maddox, Martinez. Don Mattingly's in his 14th year of eligibility. Fred McGriff, McGuire, Jack Morris, the Moose, who I mentioned earlier. Hideo Nomo's on the ballot. Uh, Raphael Palmero, Piazza, Tim Raines, Kenny Rogers, Kurt Schilling, Richie Sexton, Lee Smith, J.T. Snow, Sammy Sosa, Frank Thomas, Mike Timlin, Alan Trammell, and Larry Walker. So many of those guys have at least whispers, and some of them much more than that. And a lot of those guys are in the Hall of Very Good. I I forget who who coined that term somewhere over the years, but a lot of those guys are in the Hall of Very Good. But, I mean, Luis Gonzalez was a great player. 2001 World Series, you know, he was the hero, as Yankee fans surely remember with, with bitter in their hearts. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't really think so, especially not against this crop. I mean, like like I said, how, how do you not have Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, for instance, as first ballot Hall of Famers? Or early ballot Hall of Famers, meaning they won't get to, like, Jack Morris territory where he's going in his 15th and final year. And for 15 years, it's been the, well, how do you take Jack Morris's numbers? And 15 years later, he's still on the ballot, even though he got I think 68% last year, so it's the closest he's come. But well, I'd, he's love still to not see, in. I'd love to see Mattingly get in. I think most Yankee fans would agree with me there. Uh, he is the kind of player that when he was healthy and when he was actually playing was definitely capable yeah. of, of being mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. He just mm-hmm. retired too early. And what's funny is that everyone always assumed it was his back that forced him into retirement. But if you hear him interviewed – it's more about, I think, the fact that he was kind of ready to retire. He wanted to spend more time with his family. Obviously, he had a bad back, so that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, he was only in his mid-30s. I mean, he wasn't, quote-unquote, old. Right, so there's people, there's people that say, well, Hall of Fame is about the numbers. In a lot of ways, that's true. I mean, there are certain golden numbers, 500 home runs, 300 hits, 3,000 hits, I'm sorry, 300 wins, 4,000 strikeouts. 500 home runs. Yeah, I already said that. Oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Nice. That's nice. Co-host. Um, so I, I I do think it's in a lot of ways it's about the numbers. But in others, you know, Don Manningly was the best, the, the only shining light of a Yankee team for many, many years. And so obviously, selfishly, I'd like to have him in. And, and to your point about there's the Hall of Very Good, there's also the Hall of Tremendous on that list. Right. The only problem is... Do they get in with what they're rumored to have done? The Maguires and Barry Bonds were majestic baseball players. They were the the best players that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Now, granted, I don't know if they were doing it fairly, but at the same time, there are some people on there that really were the best at their craft. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of guys in there, too. There's guys that make the ballot every year that I think are like, you know, what – I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring in a wrestling reference for you. So just hang on to your hats. They're kind of enhancement talent on the well, ballot. Nobody understood that. It right. wasn't just me. But it's I, I, okay. Like Armando Benitez. You know, I said yeah, right earlier when I mentioned the names. Lee Smith was the major league saves leader until Trevor Hoffman passed him. So for a good few years after he retired, he's still not in the Hall of Fame. Does Armando Benitez have any chance? No. Yeah, but Lee there Smith are people, was a better closer than Armando Benitez. But there are people every year on the Hall of Fame ballot that don't have any chance. Right, that's what I'm saying. So he's one of the – you know, J.T. Snow was a great player, gold glover, you know, won a World Series. Actually, no, he didn't. He was in a World Series. He didn't win it. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame, I don't think, and he might not be a guy who makes the ballot two years in a row, especially with this cast of characters against him. You know, Mike Timlin, same thing. Great middle reliever, but middle relievers don't make the Hall of Fame. Right. And middle reliever – I mean, Bernie Williams didn't even get enough votes to qualify again. I would definitely take Bernie Williams over Mike Timlin. 
And I'm not just saying that. Well, yeah, the Yankees I think most people would, yeah. So there, there's guys on the ballot every year, but, you know, Mattingly was a 300 career hitter. I mean, he had a great career while he was healthy. It's just once his back went, you know, and a lot of those Yankees teams he were, was on were, you know, lower, middle of the pack teams. It kind of kind of hurts him a little bit, but I mean, there's I don't have a vote. Obviously, you don't have a vote. Uh, our own Jack Curry uh, does have a vote, so it'll be interesting to talk to him once uh, January comes around and the names are announced to see how how he voted once he's you know kind of able to talk about it if he wants to within within the, the group here. I don't know, man. If I had a vote, I gotta say Maddox is going in first ballot. Glavin's going in first ballot. I still think Piazza should have made it last year, but, you know, he's maybe not a first balloter, so I would vote for him. I don't know how I would vote for any of the guys that have that asterisk, so to speak. But um, I don't understand how know? Craig Biggio and has an asterisk, but Mike Piazza doesn't. Because they're both guys well, I'm not, that I'm not saying new. Biggio has an asterisk. I'm but Biggio has 3,000 hits, so he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked, if we're not talking about guys that you know, ha- have anything technically on, you know, any asterisks on their resume. Right. Last year we did a uh, we did a, a fake, a mock ballot here at YesNetwork.com, and, and my guys that I voted for on the ballot, it's somewhere online, you can look it up, I don't remember all eight, but what I believe is that Craig Biggio and Mike Piazza were the two guys that got elected to the Hall of Fame. It was a, a, an electorate of, you know, the dot-com team, Jack was involved, Chris Shear and a few others around here. And I think only you know they only elected two guys. And then when it came time for January and the actual ballots were counted, nobody got in. Biggio had sixty eight percent, which was close. Morris had just under sixty eight percent. Bagwell had fifty nine and a half. Nobody got in. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I mean, again, I can keep saying the same names I've said. Frank Thomas, I would definitely vote for him for the Hall of Fame this year. But I don't think nobody's going to get in. But this could be a year where seven or eight guys get in because. You know, with all those guys who get the asterisk, the Barry Bonds, the McGuire's, there may be people that just say, you know what? No, we're going to vote for Biggio. We're going to vote for Piazza. We're going to vote for the new guys like Maddox and Glavin and Frank Thomas. And, you know, maybe Moose gets some votes. Maybe Jack Morris finally gets in in his last year of eligibility. Who and knows? at a certain point, we're going to stop speculating because this will come out and we have a guest in the future coming up to talk right. about this. That's true. We will have in a few weeks. Um, Jack O'Connell, the secretary treasurer of the Baseball Writers Association of America, a.k.a. the guy who actually helps count the ballots, along with uh, the requisite accounting firms and, and legal folks. And the guy who sits next next to us at Yankee Stadium he in does. the press forum. He has that unfortunate or fortunate uh, seating arrangement, depending on how you want to look at it from yeah. his perspective. But once, um, once the voting is underway and once the Veterans uh, Committee – announces their picks on December 9th on the first day of the winter meetings. Then shortly after that, we're going to have Jack on to talk about that. And, you know, I definitely want to ask him his thoughts on with this star-studded class. I mean, is this going to be a year where we see eight guys inducted in the Hall of Fame? I know it's not going to be zero, but, you know, this this could be kind of the, the banner year, so to speak. Yeah. Um, well, we'll move on from the Hall of Fame topic. And, and um, something that I've been thinking about, Lou, recently – and consider the fact that I was born in 1991, which is really shocking to a lot of people in the office because of how recently I was born and how young I am. I was in seventh grade. Yeah, I know. I so saying. that gets awkward quickly. Yeah. Um, 
I was born in 1991, so I've had years, especially being a Yankee fan, but in general living in the New York area, I've had years and years of success. And if you consider my lifetime, uh, you know, the Yankee dynasty, I had the Giants uh, Super Bowls and in the last few years, and I'm a Giants fan as well, and I haven't seen the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers won a cup in 94, but they, they haven't really won anything since I've been aware. Right. And so in my view... This is maybe one of the worst times in my lifetime in terms of New York sports. This, as of the other day, and the other day maybe being yesterday, um, they had the worst winning percentage collectively of like any group of New York sports teams since 1966. Yeah, and, and so obviously I hadn't been born yet. Uh, that Me was either. Way, I mean way, way before my time obviously. And, you know, you think about it. We don't really have any teams that are supposed to be terrible. I mean, people thought the Jets were going to be terrible, and they've turned out to be a little bit of a surprise, but they're under 500. Nobody thought the uh, people thought the Giants were going to be good, and they haven't really panned out. Uh, the Yankees had a tough year last year with injuries. That wasn't really their own fault. And with basketball now, I think that that's what's brought this this argument. You know, how bad is New York sports right now? Because our NBA teams have gone off, gotten off to such difficult starts. And it's kind of got us wondering, well, what what are we going to have to do to get these teams back on track? And, and, and did we think, did we overhype these teams, you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Knicks and Nets are a combined 7-20 and 20 right now, uh, entering tonight's play as we tape this on Wednesday morning. 7-20. and 20. I think anyone would have picked both teams to have at least seven wins each at this point, and they're seven and twenty combined. You combine that with the Giants, who have been a fringe playoff team and won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You know, the last couple of years, having rallied back from an zero and six start now to four and seven. The Jets at five and six are right about where you kind of figured they would be. But even in hockey, I mean, the Islanders made the playoffs last year, and they're struggling. The Rangers, who were the Eastern Conference finalists along with the Devils two years ago, both of those teams are struggling. The Yankees had a you know eighty mid eighties wins as a down year for them. Add in the Mets, and, and right now it's 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 not good. It's bleak, and and also what happens to hurt is the fact that Boston is having all the success. I mean, uh, if you go through it, the Red Sox obviously just won a championship. The Bruins uh, seem to be in the uh, you know the Stanley Cup Finals every year. The Patriots are good every year, and the three other teams in their division are terrible every year. It's almost as if we're being punished for something. I'm not even really sure what it is, but when you watch Boston teams play, it's like somebody's watching over them. It's unbelievable. Every week, something amazing happens to a Boston team. That just doesn't happen to us. It's amazing that the team that kind of started the dynasty, so to speak, is the one that won the won their championship the farthest away. What if do you that mean? makes sense? The Patriots have the longest "quote unquote" title drought in Boston right now. Right, I mean, and people Celtics, still think they're a dynasty, which they're not, yeah. but they're still very good. The Celtics, Bruins, and Sox have all won in the last five years, and they haven't. So, I mean, like, and they're still very. It's like they're they're like the 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 redheaded stepchild of the group at this point, so to speak. They're kind of the non-winners. Seriously, the Celtics, everyone, you know, the Celtics are going to be terrible, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the Celtics look like the best team in the division right now. The Celtics obviously, have six wins. Obviously, they're not going to end up winning. I am pretty sure about that. But if I know Boston mm -hmm. and the, the way that things have been going their way lately, somehow Rondo will come back and average 65 points a game. 
and they'll win the title with a buzzer beater in Game Seven, and that's just, it. Just blows my mind. I, I printed out the. Everybody makes fun every year that you know the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference goes to the team that gets picked out of a hat from the under 500s or some other ridiculous joke. I printed out the current NBA standings as of Wednesday morning. Now, Brooklyn has lost five in a row until last night's win in Toronto. Uh, the Knicks have lost six in a row heading into you know this week. So they're like you said, they're three and ten, four and ten. Brooklyn has a half game lead on the division seller at the moment. The leader in the Atlantic division is Toronto at six and eight. They're six and eight, lost to the Nets last night, still technically lead the division by a half game because Philly is six and nine. Boston is six and ten. That's awful. That's NFC West of a couple years ago awful. In terms of that, you know I hate this on pace argument. But through fourteen games, the leader is six and eight. What are they on pace for? 27, 28, 30 win season? And they're yeah. going to win the division. I mean, that's bad. And just to say what you would say to that argument, obviously that's not going to happen. I think right. I think the Nets have a better chance of pulling it together than the Knicks do. I think the Nets have the roster. and, and the, the, Obviously, Jason Kidd is getting a lot of the blame right now. People don't think really that he knows exactly what he's doing. And for good reason, considering he just started doing this. I mean, right. when you're new to a job, and I can say this, firsthand considering you know i'm recently new to yes i just graduated from college last year when you start a job there's an adjustment period oh, absolutely and jason kidd is getting adjusted right now and there's no reason for us to say that this isn't in his dna considering he was basically a player coach for the knicks last season yeah and he's been a winner his whole career right so now you look at the knicks though and we're waiting for tyson chandler to come back like he's the second coming when in reality you know he's a decent center he's a very good player he's their second best player Right. But he's not Hakeem Olajuwon. He, you know, he he's not going to bring this team back to contention right away. They miss Ray Felton as well. I think the Nets have a better chance. They have a better roster. We knew that from the beginning. And you know, the the funny thing is, I think Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and some of the guys on that roster know that they're going to right the ship. I right. mean, they know that th- that this is going to get better. I don't know what their final record is going to be after the se- after the season. I don't right. really know how much it matters. But if they can win that division, I think they know that they have a chance to compete as w- if, you know, right. for the Eastern Conference. Right. Title. I mean, you know, again, I hate the on-pace argument, but I think 23 and 59 is their current like, pro- you know, projected yeah, that, that, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm willing to put all but, my money on it. And here's the other thing about this too is I'm looking at the standings that people say, "Oh, it's too far gone even the Knicks are out of it, blah 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 blah." Indiana's thirteen and one. Miami is eleven and three. Toronto at six and eight would have a top four seed because they're guaranteed a home court division winner playoff push. The number three seed in the East right now would be the eight and seven Atlanta Hawks, and the number five seed in the East would be the six and seven Chicago Bulls. I mean, they're six and seven, and they're the five seed right now. You know, or actually, Charlotte at seven and eight is a five seed. Chicago six. Detroit at six and eight would be the seven. And the eight is six and eight Washington. And if this season had started off, I mean, kind of differently, we would be saying, "Oh, Derrick Rose is out. This is the chance for the Knicks and the Nets to actually, you know, win an Eastern Conference title." Right. But now we don't look at them. It's, I mean, it's still early in the season, but we don't look at them as having a chance to even use that as an advantage to use the Bulls not being there because we always thought we thought, you know. Derrick Rose was come back. This is an already good Bulls roster. When he comes mm-hmm. back, they're going to compete even more. Now we look at it as who's going to win, Heat, Heat or Pacers? Yeah, it's, <laughs> who's going to win the Heat Pacers uh, Eastern Conference Finals? But that illustrates the point is that there's three teams in the Eastern Conference 
and they're anywhere between 13 and 16 games, depending on the team. There's three teams in the Eastern Conference over 500. So nobody, even the even the Bucks, who were two and 11, and you know they look like the Tankadelphia of the year. Even they are not out of it because they're only you know four games out of the, the last playoff spot at the moment. I mean, there's nobody that's out of it right now. 15 games in, it's it's pretty even, Steven, Outside of like you said, the Pacers and the Heat. What's interesting to me also is the fact that Knicks fans want Carmelo Anthony back so badly, and they're so worried about him leaving. Yet, when we get to struggling, you know, when the Knicks start to struggle in the season, we get on him for not passing the ball. You know, we say, he didn't have any assists in the first half. Well, the bottom line is that we want him back more than anything. We're terrified. We're so terrified of him leaving that we've already been talking about it for six months. Yeah. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at right. this point. If you want the guy, then you got to cheer for him. Then you got to be okay with the fact that he's not going to pass the ball to Andrea Bargnani and have him miss the shot. Yeah. He wants to miss or make the shots because right. he's the best player on the team. So if you want Carmelo Anthony, that's what you get. But if you don't want him, then you're not going to contend. There's a lot of people that have said over the years that Carmelo Anthony is going to be one of those guys that makes a lot of money in the NBA, makes a lot of all-star teams, and will never win a championship because he's not the, he's just not built to play that team sport kind mm-hmm. of way. And after watching him up close in New York for a couple of years now, I kind of tend to agree. He seems like the kind of guy who you know is going to get his numbers. He's going to get his 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 points in and his rebounds and his time and all that. But he's never going to be that leader. It doesn't seem like because and now he's dealing with all this. Oh, Carmelo might leave. Carmelo might leave. All this fan scrutiny and everything else. It's it eventually becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, like I just said. And right. you know, eventually that means that he's gone. And the thing with Carmelo also is that. Yes, does he play selfishly? I think you could argue that he does. But he is not a bad guy. I mean, he handles the New York media very well. He, he, you know, if you ask guys that have covered him, most of them say, you know, he's a really good guy. And he's not a selfish, you know, me first guy off the court. He just is one on one. And we don't right. see that a lot in, in sports. Usually, right. you know, your personality is reflected in the way you play. But. I think New Yorkers kind of root for him, and even though he's very selfish, I think part of why I, is what's happening is happening is that we kind of see this guy and we root for him, even though we're driven nuts by the fact that when J.R. Smith is open, sometimes he doesn't get the ball. And I mean, obviously, that's a whole nother story because J.R. Smith is just a less successful version of Carmelo Anthony, and having them on the same court is kind of a nightmare. And it's right. exactly what's wrong with the team, especially for a Knicks fan. Uh, Trust me. Yeah, that's not fun. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the NBA season. The Nets did win last night in Toronto. They have a big game with the Lakers. You know, I said last week this was kind of a big stretch for them, and they lost, you know, three of the first four and then barely hung on to win last night. So, you know, they got to get something going eventually. The injuries are really, you know, crippling them right now. A lot of guys are out. Lopez and Williams didn't even make the trip last night. You know, eventually that will – that will come together. They will come back. Everybody will be healthy, and that depth that has been ballyhooed about all you know October and into November will be will be there. Um, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, nobody's out of it. They're only a couple games out of the last playoff spot because the six and eight Washington Wizards are currently your number eight seed in the NBA's Eastern Conference. So. And what's what's kind of bothersome to me, and I'm not at all doubting you know Brooke Lopez's injury or Darren Williams's injury. But sometimes in the NBA and in a lot of sports, we see players get rest. I mean, do they have – are they banged up? Probably. But we see players get rest and inning, in, in innings limits in baseball, but minutes limits and in the NBA early in the season like it doesn't matter. Like Amari Stoudemire and I, two nights ago played very well. 
you know, he had 10 points, but he only played 25 minutes because yeah. he has an he has a minutes limit. So why don't we let these – what season are we saving them for? Right. I kind of – you know, on that point, I kind of think like someone like Stoudemire, for instance, he's got, you know, the, the knees and everything going on with him, the back, the eye, whatever it happens to be this, this day of the week. What what are you holding him back for? Why not let him play 30 minutes now and then restrict him a little later in the season? Because if you keep restricting and restricting when you need him to play 30 minutes, he's not going to be able to. Right. He's and, not going to have that stamina. And between warming up for a game and and working out, you know, on off days and practices and and you know everything like that. Between that, do you really think that 10 minutes in the game matters that much? No, especially because you're preparing like you normally would be. You know, you're, you're, you're training like you normally would be. Do you really think in those 10 minutes he's, he's like, ah, oh, and relaxing on the bench and all his muscle aches go away because those 10 minutes are being saved? No. Right. It makes no sense to me. No, because there's going to be time where there's timeouts or television timeouts exactly. or free throws or, you know, let's look at the who, who hit the ball out of bounds, so let's take a break here. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like it's hockey, for lack of a better word, where it's straight up minutes upon minutes of action. There's going to be, you know, he can loaf it a little bit and, you know, kind of jog down the court on offense, set up. I mean, it's not like he's nose to the grindstone for that entire 10 minutes. It's the, it's and, the same thing, Lou, with pitch counts. Do you realize how many pitches the pitchers throw in the middle in between innings? They yeah. throw like 8 to 10 pitches. So if you really are that, you know, specific, oh, he can't throw 115, he can only throw 110, that makes no sense because right. he's already thrown 200. What's gonna? What's the difference between five more pitches? See, the thing about that, too, is I'm kind of in the, I guess, I don't know if it's the opposite camp with that when it comes to innings limits. If you're going to have an innings limit, shouldn't it be a pitch limit? I mean, if you pitch 150 innings and all of them are 10 pitches, that's 1,500 pitches. If you pitch 120 innings and all of them are 20-pitch innings, that's 2,400 pitches. Your arm is much more stressed by those 2,400 pitches than 1,500, right? Yeah. So, so what's the difference? There are some ways in which sports— That's simple math. Sports are kind of archaic and need a makeover, and there are certain philosophies that just don't work anymore. And I think, you know, minutes limits, I mean, this just makes us look silly. It makes us look dumb. If you're fans and you're wondering, well, Amari just played well. Why are you taking him out? Oh, you know, they want to rest him. Well, that just makes us look stupid because we care a lot. So the players and the coaches should reflect that and put a winning team on the court. Anyway, we should move on. I was going to say, speaking of something archaic, that's called a segue in the biz. Speaking of something archaic, I I got a question for you, and we usually get to the NFL towards the end of the show, and we're towards the end of the show here today. What are your thoughts on this? It's tradition, yes. Are you tired of seeing the Lions and the Cowboys every year on Thanksgiving? Yeah, do I you, am. Do you really want to watch Raiders at Cowboys at 4 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day? I think the thing about the Cowboys is I, you and I, I think I can just tell by your tone, Lou. And by the way, for those listening, we didn't have this discussion before the podcast. This is legitimately Lou putting me on the spot, which yeah. is why we're paid the big bucks. Right. So – I don't want to see the Cowboys, but I think most of America kind of does, considering that they're the Yankees of the NFL. Well, I think the three I just don't children like would them. use the word poser teams. I'm going to use the word national fan bases. You have the Packers, the Cowboys, and the Steelers are all playing on Thanksgiving Day this year. Those are probably, if you had to pick the five NFL franchises that have the biggest national following based on anything – Th- those are probably three of them, and the Raiders would probably be in that top five too because, you know, the Raiders are the, the popular, cool West Coast team or have been. You know, they were successful in the 70s. Cowboys, same thing through the years, and the Packers and the Steelers. So at least that national audience has like, okay, they're national teams. It's not like Jaguars-Browns is Thanksgiving Day because nobody's going to watch that on Sunday. Nobody would watch it on Thursday either. 
Right. And it is a business. So right. these three games will get viewers because, like you said, I think that's a really good point. All three games have, have right. that, you know, big. I, you know what? I can't use this season as an example of why I don't want to see the Lions because I'm excited to see Packers Lions. Right. It's, it's a huge actually a game, game in that right division. Now. And Steelers Ravens is also a huge yeah. game. So that, obviously, we have no problem with that game because that's kind of new yeah. and doesn't have that staple team in it. Raiders Cowboys could be washed off the map. I would yeah. love to see if you look at the rest of the schedule, I'd love to see Cardinals Eagles. Yep. That was a that was a Thanksgiving night game a few years ago. I went to it in Philly. It was the, the blackout game. They encourage everyone to wear black and the Eagles wipe the floor with them. I would love to see Broncos Chiefs on Thanksgiving. Although yeah. you really need to focus on yeah. that. You know, considering, I, I'd be shoveling turkey in my mouth while also yeah. trying to pay attention. Considering Saints Seahawks, which is the two best teams in the NFC going at it on Monday night football, that's a huge Monday night matchup for a show that usually gets garbage for some reason. Giants Redskins on Sunday Night Football. It's still Giants Redskins. I mean, it's not a marquee game by any stretch of the imagination. It's a four and seven team against a three and eight one, but it's still a big game. I mean, it's Giants Redskins. Broncos Chiefs, like you said, absolutely. Rams at Niners could be interesting. I mean, the Rams are kind of an enigma. Bengals Chargers is a huge AFC playoff matchup. Dolphins Jets has the rivalry. Cardinals Eagles is a huge playoff matchup. You know. I don't know. Raiders at Cowboys just doesn't really do it for me in that context. Well, yeah, and I think selfishly, you and I, you and I are looking at that game, being like, "All right, well, why do why do we have to get a, a, a Cowboy victory on a national right. scale?" And you I don't know, want that to ruin my my Thanksgiving. And you know, too, based on the fact that I mean, because the TV rights are the way they are, that one of them has to be playing an AFC team because the way TV rights are, the AFC team on the road, those games are on CBS. Both games aren't on Fox obviously every year. So you know one of them is going to have to be playing an AFC team. So you can tell at the beginning of the year, just based on that, it's like, oh, we're going to get one of these eight games for sure on Thanksgiving, no matter what. Cowboys, Raiders, I mean, it could be worse. I suppose it could be, you know, Redskins, Chargers, or uh, I don't know, you know, Giants, Giants, Chiefs, which was kind of a, a massacre, or Eagles, Chiefs, which was kind of a massacre. Uh, but I don't know, maybe... It should should the NFL maybe look into kind of going away with tradition, maybe rotating it up a little more? Adding the third game kind of helped. Steelers-Ravens is really the best game of the week. It's a, the winner of that kind of temporarily vaults into the sixth wildcard spot in the AFC. And I, to be honest with you, I feel bad taking anything from Detroit. I don't have a problem with them having a Thanksgiving game. I, I, I think it's probably nice for that city that right. doesn't have a lot of good things happening right now. Right. The Dallas Cowboys don't need this, no. and, and I don't really don't think a lot of their fans would care very much. And I'm going to probably end up watching them win 38-14, and I'm going to have a spoonful and a handful of cranberry, and I don't know. Well, we got a couple minutes left. Let's talk about that. Thanksgiving, you know, we want to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays. Hanukkah begins this week as well. Um, so happy holidays and Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Absolutely. What's your Thanksgiving? We did last year, we did a Niner. It was the top nine side dishes for Thanksgiving. And number one was stuffing. And I wrote it. So number one for me is stuffing, obviously. But what what, what about you? What's your go-to? You know, there's turkeys on your plate. What's your go-to next big pile on that plate? Mashed potatoes. Big mashed potatoes? But mashed potatoes have to be covered in gravy. Because oh, I, absolutely. I'm not a... I'm not, I don't like butter very much. Like, I like it on things lightly, but I'm not going to pile it on. Right. So, like, baked potatoes are hard for me. But mashed potatoes, which are already buttery, so I don't have to deal with, like, I can get that through my head. I'm like, well, there's butter in there's there. already butter in there. Right. Yeah. I cover them in gravy and my turkey. And so that's that's the, that's the best part of the plate. Stuffing I love, but it's hit or miss. So... Stuffing is either fantastic and perfect and, and makes the sandwich the next day even that yep. much better, 
or it's too vegetable-y. It's got strange foreign objects in it. There's like Skittles and treasure maps in there. Skittles. You don't – you, you got you to gotta get good stuffing. So that's key, and that will be just as big as my second pile. I, I think I think only Marshawn Lynch's mom puts Skittles in the stuffing on Thanksgiving. I don't know if anybody else does, but, but if they I, do, call me because I'd like to try that. But I, I, I think stuffing is key when it's done right. Yeah, I, I go stuffing, and then I go sweet potatoes, and, and that's, yeah, I understand I mean, that's the enough sweet potatoes for thing. Mashed potatoes, I, I'm uh, that's my number one. Uh, if I, there are certain people, certain terrible people, that don't include mashed potatoes in Thanksgiving. It's wrong, Cal. It's wrong. And that to me is so wrong. And if I show up at you know my grandparents' house, which is where I happen to eat Thanksgiving dinner, and there's not mashed potatoes, I will go to the store and I'll make them. And I've done that in the past, where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, "So are mashed potatoes on the docket?" And everyone's like, "No, I, you know, I don't think we're going to do those this year." And I, and I admit, no, that's it. I'm You're at Food out. Emporium instantly, like a superhero. <laughs> I okay. I don't know if mashed potatoes get that much love around the country, but I, I agree with you. They I think need, they're they pretty need, widely they need loved. To, they need to be there. Like, I, well, I mean that potato- kind of love. I think like, mashed potatoes are a more widely appreciated food than stuffing, considering mashed potatoes are used around the clock. Well, I just mean that kind of love. Like, you know, oh, it's not on the docket. Forget that noise. I'm going out and getting some and making it. I don't know and if And they're it's not that easy heavy, to make, by the way. Can no, I just say that? Not. No, you got to smash them and... I'll do all that Other stuff. Other question I have for you, Doug, is cranberry sauce. Do you like the gelatinous sphere that comes out of an ocean spray can, or do you want somebody boiling cranberries the Oof. night before and making a nice I've, I've never, I've actually never had natural cranberry sauce. It's always the gelatinous sphere. Yeah. I like that phrase. And I like the can rings on the outside. Oh, absolutely. When, when you first, like, you, you get it out of the can, you look at it, it's like, oh, my God, it's a jelly can. It's a serving size is really <laughs> what that is. It's like a it, guide it, to it, cut it. It looks like a little piece of art. It's like somebody sculpted this cranberry to look like a can. But it just perfectly molds to the outside. It's very interesting. Like I said, you just cut it along the like yep. the, the can marks, and you know somebody gets the big end. Like you know, dad or grandpa gets the big end after yeah. he carves the bird. But I like it a lot. I like it a lot, and I'm well, going to enjoy eating Thanksgiving dinner. Although I'm doing so with my fiance's family this year for the first time, so there's going to be like 40 of us there. So I might actually just be able to sit on the couch and watch football all day, and nobody will notice I'm not there. Yeah, we my grandparents' house. It, it's delightful. There's only like eight of us, which is nice because I can you know focus on the food and, and right. the people around me and everything like that the one issue is that the tv for viewing i'll anger people if i put on the main tv for football so the tv for viewing is way tucked away in my grandpa's old office and it's like a an oil painting tv it's just really not what you'd want to watch tv on so i have to like sneak out i go to the bathroom like 17 times just to you know sit down and and see what game's on check the score forget red zone forget anything like that we're we're watching whatever's on so I, I wouldn't I, – I, football isn't as big a part of my Thanksgiving as it probably is for other people's. But naturally, I enjoy the company of my family, so I can't complain. And then you have Black Friday, which starts earlier and earlier every year. By the time we're our parents' age, Black Friday might start on Monday. It might be Black you – know, Black Week. Black Week, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, does the store really need to open at 6 o'clock Thanksgiving Day? 4 o'clock Friday morning is a little – You go to Black Friday? I don't, and there's a reason I don't. Number one – well, knock on wood, luckily I'm – well off enough, for lack of a better word, that I don't have to, you know, wait in line for seven hours like I'm in communist Russia to buy a TV for 50% off. But that aside, I worked in retail back in the day, back when I was your age. That made me sound really old. Anyway, I worked in retail. I worked at Black Friday. It was chaos. It made me want to go into the back room with a bottle of Jack Daniels and sit there and cry until that bottle was done. It was that bad. It was a sad image. It was a sad image. Janitor closet with a bottle of Jack. Right, in my Foot Locker uniform, so I look like a referee as it is. 
But uh, I don't I don't really – there's nothing I want or need that bad that I need to save that much money and deal with that much hassle that I can't either order online or just go out and get a couple days later and you know not save myself money per se but save myself aggravation headache time yeah and time you could be at your home at home mm-hmm. with your family hanging out like that's what i don't understand i'm not going to wake up early yeah. i'm not going to inconvenience myself for an extra 25 bucks yeah. because i understand black friday sales are sales on steroids but there are sales after Black Friday, and there's right. especially large sales in January and February after and there's, Christmas. There's Cyber Monday, which you know is a lot of online retailing. And like I said, I mean, for that extra twenty five, fifty bucks that I'm going to spend on that TV, I can watch that TV twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year. But I only get to see Grandma once in a while. You right. know what I'm saying? I only yeah. get to enjoy a nice Thanksgiving meal once a year. I'd rather savor that than go line up, especially this year. It's going to be like 25 degrees on Thanksgiving night. No thanks. I'm yeah. good. You guys can enjoy your Black Friday all you want. I'm going to enjoy a little you know, black cherry soda maybe in front of the television watching Steelers Ravens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just quick side notes for our listeners out there. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes. So all you have to do is click, click subscribe. If you have an iPhone or an Android or any smartphone, it will automatically download to your podcast app on there. And then rate us if you like us. Give us five stars. Review us. Leave us a few pointers. Say we're great, whatever you want. Another thing, Lou and I both love the Brian McCann move. Uh, Lou wrote an article on YesNetwork.com yesterday with a bunch of reasons as to why it's a great move. I actually <laughs> forecasted it on YesNetwork.com. That's my claim to fame. That's what and makes us the best in the biz. Exactly. So we both like it. We'll save you the time. We think it's a great move, and uh, it's a huge piece of the new Yankee lineup. Yep. Carlos Beltran, it looks like, might be next. We'll have to stay tuned for that. We're running out of time, or we'd go – more into it we can just say check out the the website Doug's yeah. free agent forecast yeah. is there my top five reasons mccann's a great signing is there read them you'll, you'll know exactly our thoughts yeah I mean, it's not like and we the, just write in a vacuum and the free agent forecasts have been going all month and they're still archived on our website mm-hmm. so i've done pretty much every free agent the yankees have that's might be leaving and every free agent that i think the yankees might add right. so those have been daily with a video and an article and, and in the uh, in the interest of completion i must say doug you made the final four of your survivor pool here at work the final two both lost last week so i guess they split the pot. I don't know how that works yep. out. I, in my three strikes pool, I'm in the last 10. 35 people were eliminated last week. I made the final 10. I'm nervous this week because there's no easy game. And I'm even more nervous because now I'm so far in that I'm worried I'm going to overthink things and blow it when I'm this close to winning. Yeah, you're in. So I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll go with Carolina since Cam Newton seems to be Superman right now. But that's something I'm going to figure out. I know I'm not taking any of the six teams playing on Turkey Day. So that's something I'll figure out over the weekend. Until then... For Doug Williams, I'm Lou DiPietro saying we'll see you next week. We wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. Happy happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the Yes Men.